What is up, Fade to Gray family? There is a brand new podcast in town. Fade to Gray's own Elizabeth Williams has started a new podcast called Four in Tow, a not-so-conservative homeschool podcast. She's a homeschool mom of four who occasionally drops the F-bomb. You see, Elizabeth grew up as a homeschool student, and she's been homeschooling now for four years. And she knows that there is a desperate need of community and encouragement for all the other homeschool moms and dads out there. If you're interested in listening to Elizabeth's podcast, make sure to check out the show notes for the link. Once again, that's the Four in Tow podcast. We hope you'll join her. What's up, guys? Before we get into the episode here, I want to tell you about Chad Johnson. Are you tired of paying too much for your auto, home, life, or small business insurance without having your own agent you can trust to advise you correctly? Insurance agent Chad Johnson has multiple companies to offer in these products and is licensed in Missouri, Illinois, Oklahoma, Kansas, Arkansas, and Iowa. I want you guys to call or text Chad at 417-421-2925 if you live in any of these states for a no obligation quote on any of your insurance needs. Again, that's call or text Chad at 417-421-2925. Hello friends, it's Ethan. I understand finances can be tough. That's why I want to talk to you about Brian from BoundlessFinancialSolutions.com. Brian can help you set up a budget, learn how to invest your money, and even help you understand your retirement. The team at Boundless Financial Solutions doesn't just work with individuals either. They can help businesses and nonprofits as well. They'll never cold call you or spam your inbox. You just tell them about you, your needs, your hopes, and your dreams, and they'll provide you with the best options at your convenience. Listeners of the Fade to Gray podcast, that'd be you, can call 413-977-9967 and ask for Brian, or email him directly at brian at bfs-team.com. That's B-R-I-A-N at BFS-team.com. And mention the podcast to receive a free consultation. That's hundreds of dollars in value. Services are available where licensed. There's no more excuses to not get your finances in order. Visit BoundlessFinancialSolutions.com and let them free you from your financial fears today. Ladies and idiots. This is the Fade to Gray Podcast. Everything will be aces. Let's get faded, guys. Hell yeah. He has many, and I mean many, leather-bound books on shelves made of rich mahogany. Now you've heard of gay conversion therapy. Well, this is gray conversion therapy. I think you're going to like it. I'm not braver than you. I'm just drunker than you. And you're fabulous. You deserve to be called you're fabulous. What do you think about the podcast? It sucks. Nice. Hi guys, welcome back to Fade to Gray. This is Elizabeth, and I have a couple of my girlfriends here with me. We're hanging out at the BC Con in Dallas, and we're taking advantage of the fact that we're all in the same place. And so let's see, who is here? I'm Meredith. Awesome. Hey, Meredith. And where are you from? I'm from Philadelphia. Cool. And then I'm Liz. Liz, and you are from New York City. New York. So some of y'all may remember Liz from our Lady Takeover mental health episode. Meredith, have we had heard your beautiful voice on our podcast yet? 
You just did yesterday when I read, I read an ad for you guys. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that ad, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, you can also hear Meredith on the Depth of Echoes episode uh, with Rhea. Do you know what, remember which? I don't remember what episode number it is All off right. the top of my head. We'll go check it out. Look for Meredith. Uh, depth of my name is in the episode title it was a good episode it was a good episode all right so but we're not here to talk about mental health per se we actually want to talk a little bit about the abortion issue and specifically pro-choice and so we have liz here with us and Mm -hmm. would you please um just give us a little bit of your story sure um so what led you to being pro-choice what led me to being pro-choice okay um, so this, I have to go back quite a ways in my life, uh, and hopefully I won't miss any pieces because it's, it's been a while now, but, um, I wasn't always pro-choice, you know, I was raised evangelical, um, mental health is going to intersect in here a little bit, but oh, I think yeah. it's important to, um, paint a picture, have some context so that some of the myth, I think that exists that women who are pro-choice specifically, Christian women who are pro-choice, that that means that we're also pro-abortion because that's they're not the same thing, in my opinion. Um, but I left home when I was 14 because of uh, living in a very abusive house, and I just reached a point where I couldn't take it anymore, so I left at 14, and up until that point, I did live a pretty sheltered life, as I think most of us you know, who grew up in in that world do for quite a while. So I had no idea what I was getting myself into as a teenager and a young teenager. And I kind of um, hit the road really hard and embraced secular living with gusto. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I moved in with my grandmother, who was a young grandmother. So it wasn't like I was having a lot of uh, parental oversight. Mm -hmm. And even when I think she did try, I was just in that place mentally where I wasn't going to listen anyway. So I kind of just did my own thing. And I got in with, you know, some pretty heavy partying people. Um, didn't do well in school because of that, mm-hmm. was dealing with, you know, some pretty significant mental health issues at that point, partially, I think, because of growing up in a home that was filled with trauma mm-hmm. uh, to the extent that it was. And so I was, you know, a pretty heavy drinker by the time I was a senior in high school and, you know, just a real heavy partier. I wasn't going to school. I would mm-hmm. get up and pretend like I was going and wait for my grandmother to leave for work and then go back to bed and sleep all day, you know, and I spent months doing that because I was just so depressed. And when I wasn't doing that, I was hanging out partying. And, you know, I had a boyfriend uh, for most of my years in high school, and we were pretty close. And I became sexually active at 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a story for another day about, you know, what that means when you're a former evangelical <laughs> and that happens. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't really paying attention, I guess, like, I didn't, it wasn't that I wasn't informed or that I didn't understand that girls got pregnant and that teenage girls got pregnant, but there's this false sense of security, I guess, that happens where you don't think it's going to happen to you. That happens to other girls. So I wasn't using birth control. You know, I wasn't paying attention to any of that. And when you are constantly high and drunk and having sex and not using birth control, you're significantly raising the odds that something's going to happen. And the reason why I didn't know that I was pregnant is because right before I became pregnant, I'd had an ovarian cyst that ruptured. 
And so it kept me from menstruating for a few months. So uh, it landed me in the ER and I had to have surgery. So when it when I started skipping my period again, I just assumed it was that I didn't, you know, because they told me that that could come back and it might come back fairly quickly. So I just kind of stopped paying attention and I went for a regular um, gynecological visit and he did the routine, you know, pee in a cup, please test. And lo and behold, I was already three months pregnant and didn't know. Um, So, you know, even though I wasn't really living the life of a Christian, I did have the value that we don't, you know, abortion is not an option. So I did not plan on having one. I had already kind of quickly actually made up my mind that, you know, I was going to be the 18 year old mom and that was just going to be what was going to happen. And my boyfriend at the time, you know, he's, he was a good dude, but he was not ready for that. And he was not ready for the responsibility of that. And he was not a Christian. He didn't, in fact, those of people who don't grow up in the lifestyle that we've grown up in, they don't know what to do yeah. with that life. <laughs> yeah. When you try to hint at it at all, they're like, what? You did what? Like, were you in a cult? Is it Scientology? You know, like that's right, the kind yeah. of stuff you get. <laughs> so um, he wasn't really available for that experience either. So um, I was in my fourth month, which would not have been my choice at all. And I remember going for uh, a sonogram and or yeah, sonogram, and the doctor said to me, I don't think that um, you're, the baby is developing, right? Um, you know, and then he asked me, are you using, are you using substances? Are you drinking? Because there's, it's not, um, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And then advised me, you know, I don't think you should, I think you should terminate this pregnancy. I don't think you should keep it. Mm-hmm. And I really wrestled with that because, you know, now I'm not in the first trimester anymore, which is typical when a woman is going to have an abortion. That's usually right. when it happens. Yeah. Um, I hadn't started to show yet, but I'd already had morning sickness. So I was already dealing with that. And I was pretty severely ill, mm. um, like all day. It wasn't morning. It was get up, be sick all day. <laughs> go to bed, get up, be sick all day. Um, and I also, because of that, I wasn't able to finish my senior year out with my class. Like I had to go to a school that was set up. It was still a public school, but in a grammar school for pregnant teenagers. And you oh, had okay. like a teacher, you know, try to help prep you so that you could keep up with your class and graduate. So yeah. I like disappeared my senior year and the second half of it just like disappeared and no one except for my close friends knew what was going on. So people just assumed I dropped out. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember talking to uh, my grandmother at the time who, and I love my grandmother. She is, she is really a mom to me. Uh, She was pretty, (laughs) um, I don't, I don't even know how I want to describe it. She, she said, I don't think, it's a good idea for you to have this child because you're not ready for this responsibility and I don't think you should keep it. Um, so I got that advice. So here I am 18, not, you know, not an adult, not, you know, not mature enough to make a sound decision. Um, and I felt a lot of pressure and obviously my boyfriend didn't want it. You know, he would have gone along for the ride for lack of a better word, but he didn't want that situation. And then I was living with tremendous guilt of the fact that I had done something to the baby. <sighs> so, which I still live with to this day. Mm. Give me a minute. Mm. It's hard to have this conversation. Yeah. 
it's so many years later and it's still so fresh. Um, I didn't want to have a baby that was going to have a life that wasn't worth living. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that made it a little bit more bearable to me that I had to make that choice. Can I get a little graphic? Is it okay yeah. if I Okay. So, um the process at least at that time and things might have changed because this was 1988, so I'm not really sure if this is still how they do things was that you go in the day before and they put these pins inside your uh, uterus to make you dilate, in, into your cervix to make you dilate, and it's an overnight process. And then you go in the next day and have the procedure. And they kind of downplay it like all of medicine does about any procedure that you're going to have done. Yeah. So I think if they didn't, nobody would ever do it. So right. they were like, oh, you'll have some mild cramping. It'll be like you have your period. It was not that. I went into labor, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and you can't take any pain pills for it. There's nothing you can do. So at they that- do epidurals for that kind of thing? No. Oh, Lord. No. So for 24 hours, I basically, you know, waited for my cervix to open oh, up. Oh, my and gosh. Yeah, it was not. It was not a good experience. I did have an incredibly loyal group of friends that had my back, um, one dude in particular who is now uh, dating and, and uh, been with my best friend for about 10 years. Like oh, he, cool. they found each other later. So yeah, we, I thanked him again when we reconnected. I was like, you were, you were just awesome. But I had about four uh, close women friends of mine and some guys uh, come and spend the night with me, you know, and try to distract me. And we played some games and it got to the point where I was just writhing around in pain. Like we weren't. I wasn't playing any games, but they were just there. Like they provided that level of support that I needed because my grandmother was not there. She'd gone away to uh, visit her sister in Canada. And I said, you know, let me do this now while she's not here so she doesn't have to deal with this as well. Mm. So the next morning, we drove into the city to the clinic where I was having it done. And there were all of these uh, pro life folks protesting in the front. And at that point, once you have those pins put in, you you're in like there's you can't change your mind so and I just gone through a night of absolute agonizing pain and guilt and all of that and they were shoving pictures in my face of chopped up babies you know really graphic uh horrific looking pictures and screaming at me you baby murderer this you know do you want to do this to your child and I remember that the guy that I'm talking about like physically got in someone's face and like pushed them out of the way and like said I will beat you down if you don't get out of her face um and I really needed that because I was terrified terrified that this was happening so I went in and there were a lot of young girls in there and there were a lot of women in there who were um pretty far along but all having health issues like there was something going on so this wasn't just I don't feel like having a baby so I'm going to have an abortion like it was all complicated because when you reach that second trimester it's it's complicated already um and so I went into the room and I I remember at the time I I didn't have um I didn't have the money for anesthesia so I was going to go awake oh wow I didn't. Oh <laughs> and oh the reason why I didn't is because as the nurse was prepping me, she starts talking to me about how she was my age and had gotten pregnant and was considering whether or not to have an abortion and decided not to 
and keeping her son was the best decision that she ever made. So I'm lying there on a table in a gown with my legs up in stirrups, and here is this nurse telling me how she was in my shoes but opted to not make that choice and how it was the best decision she ever made. And I'm just like, are you kidding me right now? Like, are we really having this conversation? And Barry Manilow was playing on the radio in the background, like Copacabana, like some really cheesy 70s song. And I just, I think I had like an outer body experience for a minute. And I remember I just, oh, and then she took a garbage bag and put it down by my feet. So when I saw that, I just looked at her and said, please, I want anesthesia. Like, I can't be awake for this. I can't be awake for this. Um, And so I wasn't, thankfully. Um, And when I woke up, it was done. And then I think I I bled pretty severely for about two days after that. And then it was as if it never happened. Like everyone around me just picked up life. Like Liz was never pregnant, you know. And I went to my um, high school graduation, put on the cap and gown. Everybody's like, where you been? We thought you dropped out. And for a while, I was able to push that down and not think about it and not remember that that happened. Um, and then I just, it, it wouldn't stay down. Yeah. It, it wouldn't stay down. And it doesn't stay down anymore. And it's further complicated by the fact that I, I couldn't have children after that. So I wanted children, but it wasn't going to be in the cards for me. So then there was that piece as well. Yeah. I became pro-choice, I think, because I began to realize that there is context to why these things happen. And most women, I mean, I'm sure there are probably some who really do see it very black and white. I can't speak for every woman (laughs) in the world, but no one that I've met and talked to has ever said, you know, I'm going to go have an abortion because I wasn't careful and got pregnant. Like, it's not like that. Right, right. I don't believe that this should be legislated. And I know what it felt like to be on the receiving end of people who were passionately or not um, putting those pictures in my face and making me, you know, I was already desperate. I was despondent. I was in pain. I was depressed. I was scared. I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And here are all these adults circling like vultures around this clinic shoving pictures into every woman's face now this was a place that also had birth control and gynecological services it wasn't Planned Parenthood but it Mm -hmm. offered other things as well so you're not bothering to know if the women walking in there are there for an abortion or not you're just accosting every woman who walks in and it was a lot of men you know standing in front which also wasn't cool um to have that experience I I don't want to see us go back to the time it already still happens that there are women having what they used to call backdoor abortions. There are already women who for financial reasons or family reasons or whatever are going to someone's kitchen, you know, and getting up on a table and having a procedure like that and mm-hmm. getting seriously ill and hurt, some mm-hmm. die um, or it's not successful. I don't think that that's a good alternative either. And that is, in my opinion, what will happen if we go back and overturn Roe versus Wade and make like it is a very difficult conversation to have. It is a very difficult decision to make. And part of why I think I got in that situation was because of 
some of the trauma that I experienced because of Christianity. Yeah. And Christianity wasn't really stepping up to help me. They weren't really, they were condemning me. Right. It, you know, they weren't giving me love and unconditional support and forgiveness or any of those things. They wanted me to burn <laughs> because I was a baby killer and they didn't see it any other way. Yeah. I feel like as women and as men, when I'm speaking to you know you two who I adore greatly, as women, we can do better. Yeah. We can make space for how complicated life is and not have it be so black and white because it isn't so black and white. I would not yeah. have chosen that, but I also felt backed up against the wall. And as much as it grieves me to this day, I can't imagine my life having been any different either yeah that's so hard like I am as a mother um I was pro-choice for those four you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and and in high school I did a whole paper on abortion and was like staunchly pro-choice or pro um pro-life sorry um but it's weird like since having children I think I'm more pro-choice. I don't think I can stand on it across the board because for me, it still feels situational. Like in your situation, I'm like, I fully support you. But like (laughs) when the doctor told me that we needed to consider aborting our second daughter because she had a spot on her heart that looked like something um, someone with Down syndrome would have, I'm like, no, we're not going to go abort her. Um, and but the, the situations were different yeah and so I don't know where that lands me on the issue <laughs> and like I have friends who've been raped and what are they supposed to do with their kids yeah and like they're different situations like like that you can't in my opinion you can't just say across the board everybody has to get a chance at life or everybody and like I can't do that to my friends. I can't do that to you. I can't say, well, you should have kept the baby. Cause like, like you said, like that child had no chance. No. And I, yeah, it just, it would be better to have an abortion in my opinion. Maybe we don't have to take a stance one way or the other. Cause I don't, yeah. I don't know that that's necessarily helpful. I think right, yeah. having that gray yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. and that fluidity and that ability to support people and meet them where they're at, I think could, that could possibly be the thing that changes how contentious this issue is. Yeah. It could possibly be the loving people that be. we keep saying we need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because if it is murder, who's, Whose right is it to judge me? It that would be God, right? Not, not my f- brothers and sisters. Right. Like that, <laughs> it shouldn't be your job to do that. That's between me and God, right? And I just don't think we're doing a really good job of understanding that life is really messy. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> it's sure, really messy. And if you look at how many women come out of the church having been on the receiving end of abuse or violence or yeah rape or all these things that are happening within the context of church right and have to make these decisions can't can't we give them a little grace yeah (laughs) you know but what if it isn't even that situation what if the woman just can't do it yeah 
can we not at least try to understand that? Do we have to condemn them right off the bat? Right. I, I, I really wish we saw more room for people to be in process because like, yes. for example, like you were explaining like the context of where you were coming from when you had that experience and you were, you were young, you didn't have a whole, you had your friends, which I'm glad, you know, you had that support. So you weren't entirely alone, but essentially yeah. like you were without, yeah. you, you know, still do it alone, even if you're surrounded right, by people. Right. Exactly. right. Like you were Regardless. very much, yeah, like that's where you were at. You had a lot of, um, influences about like what you should do and you made the best choice that you felt you could make at that time and I wish we gave more grace to people to be in process for wherever they're at and Mm -hmm. you know yeah I don't think it's necessarily my job to try to convince anyone nor would I want to that they need to change their opinion of being either pro-life or pro-choice I feel like I'm both Mm -hmm. I want to respect women's right to choose because it is their body. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't mean that in the same way that I think pro-choice people make that their mantra. I don't mean it in that way, but it is physically happening to you. Right. And yeah. it is your your situation unique to you. And there's a way to get around that, honestly. Yeah. 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 I don't see a biological way. <laughs> yeah. Not yet. Anyway, we may head up, head there if, you know, we want to get into the whole Matt Carter AI stuff, which freaks me out. <laughs> and I don't want to get into that. But, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll have artificial wombs and nobody will be, you know, we'll just. I think we will eventually, but it's probably a long way away. Long, so, I but... hope because that's freaking me out. But anyway, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's still my body. Yeah. Um, right. But that doesn't mean that I'm not pro-life either. Right. You know, and I don't ever begrudge my female friends who have kids. It's funny because, you know, while I did cry um, telling this story, it's not the stuff that makes me cry now is watching like I'll be watching a movie and and the woman in the movie will have a baby. That'll make me cry. Mm -hmm. You know, it's stuff like that. And you never know when it's going to hit you. It's Mm -hmm. it's very random. So sometimes I'm fine. Sometimes I'm not okay with it. But what has wounded me more than that whole experience is the look of disgust and contempt that have come from other women yeah. who are um, pro-life. Yeah. And that is just heartbreaking. Ladies, I'm going to talk to you specifically, not the girls here in the room, but if you're a woman and you're listening to this, girls, we get enough shit from the world around us. Yeah. Let's like stand up for one another. Let's empower each other and let us tell our own story and then support your sisters in that story. Like, um, let's stop backbiting, let's stop the cat fights, let's stop bitching, and let's encourage each other. Let's just hold each other up, regardless of whether you agree with them or not. We don't need each other. I don't need to sit here and tell Liz, well, you didn't do it the way I did it, so you're wrong. She doesn't need to hear that. She needs our support. Um, So just shut the fuck up and support your sisters. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. We need to be the band of warrior women. We're all superheroes and superheroes need a team. So let's be that for each other. We have enough shit. You're right. We deal with enough without turning on each other as well. Um, Yeah. So maybe my story isn't the most convincing for pro-choice because I was so young, but I think people would be surprised to know how many women in the church have had abortions and are just not talking about There's it. There's a lot more than we realize. Yeah. Like I I remember and being in high school and having a lady from my church come up to me and go, I really enjoy watching you because my daughter would have been your age, but yeah. we had an abortion and she was ripped up about it. And I don't know her whole story yet. That's all she told me. Um, but, you know, she's grieving silently. And this was, at that point, I was in high school, so at that point, it was 16 years. 
apparently I was the same age as her daughter oh, would have been. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, extenuating circumstances. Who knows? You know, who knows what she was going through at that point. So let's be there for her and let her grieve 16, 20 years later. Yeah. Because it is a grief process. You have lost something regardless of, you know, regardless. So. Well, Melody and I were talking this morning and we both came, you know, even though we're coming at this from different places, that you never stop grieving. You may grieve sometimes less than other times, but it does not take much for it to feel like it just happened yesterday. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's always there underneath the surface. And I definitely think the church in general could do a better job in addressing this. For sure. Um, Not my story specifically, but I'm a part of this story. When my mom was uh, in her 20s and we were members of the United Pentecostal Church. So I know there's several different mm-hmm. versions of uh, Pentecostalism, but that one, which is more on the strict, rig- rigid, fundamentalist side. Uh, my dad was very abusive, um, a lot of domestic violence in my house uh, when he was there. And she was pregnant once after me, once after my brother, and once before my sister mm-hmm. because he would, you know, come home in violent rages and mm-hmm. that would happen. And the pastor of that church advised my mom to have an abortion each time. But the reason for it was because he won't leave you then. Oh if you <laughs> if oh you are gosh. the good wife and don't have too many kids and be oh his punching bag and you want to keep him saved, don't you? So you don't, you know, let's not go down that road. And yeah, three oh that the gosh. pastor who was young advised her to do. So... There's a little hypocrisy, in my opinion, yeah, in the church. Sure. It's the big skeleton in the closet that needs yeah. to come out, you know? Yeah, I had some thoughts come to mind. Um, so it's not my story to tell, so I, I won't necessarily tell a story. But, I, it, yeah, I've been through um, supporting somebody really close to me that went, that did end up having an abortion um, and – prior to that would have never thought that they would ever be in that position or would even consider it. Um, This is somebody that is part of Christian community and more on the conservative side and was, you know, really torn up about going through with the situation. Um, They also were dealing with some serious um, like physical and neurological um, impairments with, with the baby. So there is a lot of like, we don't, you know, there wasn't very much hope for the baby to survive the birth or even if it did to like basically not be in a vegetative state its entire life. And, you know, but this person, um, was and is part of a community where like, you can't even consider that. Like Mm. you can't, you know, to the point where, um, you know, they, they felt very alone and isolated and, you know, reached out to me for support and I was more than happy to be supportive and just, you know, whatever you think you need to do, like, <laughs> um, I will not be judging you no matter what. But so obviously, you know, I didn't go through that situation firsthand, but I felt a lot of the, I guess I felt a lot of empathy for her and felt pretty emotionally, um, shook up by it, got like walking through that, N- not in a way where, I had any sort of like, you shouldn't be doing this or, but just how, how hard and difficult and intense that situation was there, there really was not like a good or easy answer. 
and then seeing also how isolated she was. And then I think when she did try to seek out some counseling through her church later was like not received well, was shamed for it, basically. I don't know the details, but, you know, something along those lines. It's so hard. Like, how is it that we can own animals? Like, I don't know. I come from Western Pennsylvania, so there's lots of farm animals and a horse breaks its leg. What do you do? You shoot it its quality of life oh yeah so why wouldn't we lovingly take a child's life from the womb if they're not going to have any quality of life and why is that so terrible most farmers in my area anywhere are christian (laughs) so like they do it all the time well and it's considered an act of mercy why do soldiers describe when they're you know in battle and one of the guys they're fighting with is injured and you know i'm thinking specifically of the vietnam war but i'm sure other wars where they would and their life so that they wouldn't be captured and be tortured and suffered. And we have mad respect for that. But this situation is not the same, I guess. Because somehow the babies are helpless and that changes things because they're still going to be helpless all the rest of their lives, whatever that may mean if they're born. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. That's where I really struggle. I don't understand. No, I I know what you're saying. and, And I don't, I feel pretty, like... I really resonate and feel on the same page as what each of you are saying. I think the thing that I tend to hear from people that have a different point of view is things like, well, you're not trusting God. You're not letting God, you know, he could perform a miracle or intervene. And sure, I mean, I'm not at the point where I think like God doesn't intervene or perform miracles, but that just, I don't know. There's, I think sometimes this idea that if we have enough faith, things will work out. And that, I don't think that's the norm most of the time. (laughs) I think those are very exceptional circumstances. Very. (laughs) And it's not being weak or not having faith to not immediately bank on that in every situation in life. We'll just need to. Well, in the community itself, the Christian community isn't necessarily going to be there for when the things get really hard also for that, that woman who's now had that child and you know, is in that abusive relationship or the child has, you know, health problems that are severe, who's going to be there, you know, financially, emotionally, spiritually on all levels, people's attention spans for these things are pretty short in general, like not even just picking on Christians, like people in general, you know, we have, we have our, our times when we are focused and generous and then our lives get in the way and you don't have time to take care of the whole world, you know, you got to deal with yourself and your own. So, how could you possibly even, even if we attempted our best 100% of the time, we would never be able to carry the weight of all of this. Yeah. Um, it would just be impossible to do that. Well, Meredith and Liz, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for story, having Liz. me. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no, I'm happy to do it. And thank you, Liz, uh, Meredith, for your perspective. I'm looking at Meredith and calling her Liz. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's okay. <laughs> when I start getting death threats, I'm going to send them in your guys' direction. Fate to Gray made me do it. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Hey, it's Rhea, and you might remember me from a previous episode where I joined up with the roundtable. We had a great discussion about mental health with Chad. Now we're here with his wife, Melody, and she's going to be talking about a really personal story that we're really excited to hear about and hold space for. And so um, we're really happy to have her here. Melody, why don't you take it away? Well, like she said, this is the very first time I've ever told my story, so um, my voice might be a little shaky. 
Um, I am been married for over 17 years, and this is something that has been very private for me. Um, in my early 20s, I made a lot of bad choices, and I dated somebody who is very unhealthy for me. And because he was unhealthy, I allowed a lot of things um, from him that I shouldn't have. And we got pregnant at, I was 21, he was 27, and I thought when we got pregnant that we would probably do what most people do and get married. But after talking to his uh, family about someone else having, um, being pregnant and not married, his mother said at that moment she should get a divorce, get a abortion. and. An abortion to me would never be something that I ever thought about. I was pregnant at the time, so we hadn't told her yet. And we went home, and the next thing I know, he's behind my back booking an abortion and telling me I'm going to have one. And I hadn't yet told any of my family. And my actually, my family doesn't know but my sister and my cousin. Um, I've never told my parents. Um I was raised as a Christian, and I was a Christian, so that isn't something you do as a Christian, um, and I personally didn't want to do it. Um, I stayed with a guy and allowed an abortion, and I did not want one. Um, to go a little bit back in the situation, I felt forced. There was some domestic violence there, verbal abuse that I just allowed and I shouldn't have, but I did because I didn't know what to do. I was scared. Um, in this process of becoming a mother and looking back to my past, I had to deal with horrible grief. And every day, I wish that child was here. And um, I haven't even told my own children yet because I don't know how. And uh, that's heartbreaking the day that I have to tell them because I feel like a horrible person. And when I told my friends and my sister at the time, I told her she was loving and accepting over it. But when I tell my best friend, she's loving and accepting. But it's different when it's your kids, because that's their sibling that they're never going to meet. So having to deal with the grief has been the hardest. I did not realize it what my depression was for a long time and we battled it and we battled it in our home and didn't know what was missing until recently I started opening up wounds and um, I was at a church who spoke about it and my heart kind of had you know where you feel like a knife is going in your heart and you have to pull it out when they said any woman here who's had an abortion come up for healing. Well, my daughter's sitting next to me, so, you know, I'm not going to go up there and ask for healing over something that I didn't know I had to heal over because I thought I was healed. I started just hurting on the inside, and I went home, and I just kept hurting. You know, I am a Christian, and I do um, want to be there for women who went through that. I've talked women out of it in my chair doing hair. I'm a hairstylist. Before I had an abortion, I've talked a friend out of it. But what would I say to my own child who had to come to me for a situation like that? 
I would say, I'll be here for you and I will support you. But I would never wish that on anyone. It's the worst pain you can ever imagine on healing. And the process of my healing is just been, I like for my child to be here. <laughs> and I can't fix that. I can't go back to the past and make that happen. And I would do it if I could. Um, people who say that they're pro-choice. How can you be pro-choice? It's a child. Um, if I could give a girl advice right now who is pregnant and is in a situation they don't know what to do, choose life. I say choose life because that's a person and you're going to miss them when they're gone. And it's a part of you and it's a part of you that you don't want to lose. And if I could tell anyone out there who is listening to this, would I change my past? And would I stand up to that dude and tell him no, I would. And I would say, you know what, Richie, and if you were listening, I would say to you, I forgive you, and I forgive what you did, and I forgive myself, but what you did was wrong. And, you know, my, my heart would love for you to realize that what you did was definitely wrong, and you made a bad choice for us. Thank you so much for sharing, Melody, because that was just precious and beautiful. To share a story like that is so <laughs> difficult, and it requires opening up parts of your heart that are very vulnerable, and it puts you out, especially in a topic that's a really hot-button issue. Whatever side you're on, um, it just really can put you at kind of the forefront of attack from either side. Yeah. Um, is it if yeah. you could tell another woman who is in your situation or has never told anyone and is still hurting over that, like, what would you tell her? She's hurting. She's alone. She hasn't told anyone. What's your first piece of advice? Well, you know, you really have to open up and tell people you're not going to heal. And I was scared, too, because of the Christian community. I actually did open up to one person, and then I never spoke to her really much after that, just a little bit here and there. So, yeah, finding people, you know, a, a person that you can talk with, I would say therapy. Definitely. I never had it. Um, I was scared to even tell anyone. <laughs> At along, I had to tell the person I was going to marry, and I knew that. I didn't want to tell him because I met him shortly after that. So finding, you know, help and, and getting the, the proper treatment for that um, issue. And if you are pregnant and alone and you don't know what to do, there's so many people who out there who want babies. And my sister is one of them, you know, is, you know, that baby will have a good home that will love them and go to term and have that baby is what I would say because you're going to feel that loss if you don't and that loss you never get over it's always there it's and it's very painful thank you is there anything else you want to say 
I'm shaking. So that's yeah. okay. That's yeah. okay. <laughs> then we will get back to the round table. everybody, this is Elizabeth, and I am joined today by Jed Payne of Church and Other Drugs Podcast. Well, thank you for joining us today. Of course, no problem. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Trying to get through some allergy BS. It's just like taking yeah. me over today. I'm like wiped out on the couch all afternoon. But we are here today to talk with you about your experience with um, abortion because we wanted to get a man's perspective on um, an abortion experience. So would you, um, would you mind sharing a little bit about that? What, um, when did this happen? Yeah. And I, I realized this will probably be the first time I've ever really talked about it at length or at least in, in years, like since more closer to when it happened. Um, so I was 18 um, and I was, so I'm from South Carolina, but I was at, uh, I'd gone to a long-term drug treatment facility in Louisiana. So I had been there for, I'd been in Louisiana, I'd just gotten out of the program and I'd been in Louisiana for like, I guess right around a year, like 11 months. And um, so I had gotten, well, some set up, um, I was dating a girl when I went into treatment who, um, we had, you know, we used heroin together, um, among other things. And I kind of kept in touch with her while I was in treatment, uh, just, you know, filling the, the void with other things. Um, you know, girlfriends make you feel real good and wanted and all that. (laughs) And so I got out of treatment and, I was still kind of keeping in touch with her loosely, but then I met a girl in Louisiana and I started dating her. And so I kind of um, stopped talking to the other one. And she had, I think she had still been using the whole time. I didn't know if she told me, but that was kind of the assumption. So um, I got the chance to go home to South Carolina for um, a, uh, like a home visit or whatever. And I ended up, um, seeing my ex and and sleeping with her and went back home, went back to Baton Rouge. Um, didn't really think much of it past that. So some more backstory. Um, I was in a long-term treatment because I had contracted hepatitis C from the first time I used the needle. And so back then, this is back in like 2005, the only treatment for it was something called uh, ribavirin. Or um, Pegasus interferon, which is Ooh. it's kind of like a chemotherapy type thing, where it's yeah. it's you give you give yourself an injection, and a side effect is suicide. Like one in ten yeah. patients commit suicide. It was awful. So at this point, I was on like week fifty two of it. So I'd been doing it for a long time, oh, and yeah. So <laughs> and one of the things they tell you is. 100%, 1000% do not get anyone pregnant. That's like number one. Like if you if you do get them pregnant, you're going to have some serious, 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 serious complications. Um, and then on top of that, so my head is in an awful, awful, very confusing, uh, depressed place, right? So, yeah. Um, so I go along with my life and 
about a month later, I got a phone call from her and she said that she was pregnant. And so up until this point, my stance on abortion was rigidly absolutely not. Um, so I was, you know, I'm, I am a Christian and I was back then and probably even more so uh, stereotypical back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but when she told me that, my, a bunch of things went through my head. Um, the first, the words that came out of my mouth were, can't do that. I was like, I can't, no, like, I can't do that. In, in my head, that was the worst thing to ever happen would be yeah. to have a kid at that, at that time. And she was like, well, look, I can just, um, you know, I can just have it. I don't need anything from you or whatever. And I was like, I can't do that. I can't have some kid walking around that's mine and not have any part of it. And I can't, I can't do it. So I, you know, I pushed it and I was like, you need to do something about it. You know, like you need to take care of it. And. So I get a call back and I think it was a whole, whole, whole big mess. Um, cause I think she was still on drugs or I know she was still on drugs, but, and it almost seemed like she, you know, it was one of those, like maybe a baby will fix me sort of situations. But I was telling her too, like, look, it's, you know, the pregnancy's not going to be good from what the doctors tell me. This is not going to be yeah. a good thing. So Long story short, then she called me back one morning and told me that she had went, she was crying and told me that she had went through with it. And she apparently it was like, I don't know how, you know, I don't know the exact details of what method uh, she did, but apparently it was really traumatic and bad and like something messed up. I don't know. It was just not, she was, it was bad. And so how far along she was at that point or I don't. And there, no, and that's, it, I mean, it was early. It would have been, like, really early. Yeah. It was er- early enough that even, well, so I'll get to that, but, so then I had to, I mean, it was, like, a scene out of a movie, so immediately I kind of realized what I had done and <coughs> was so, I mean, I couldn't hide it, like, the what was going on, I couldn't hide it, but I couldn't tell anyone, and so... I'm at my current girlfriend's house and I'm obviously messed up and I, you know, burst out crying and she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I can't tell you. And then I'm finally like, I'm like, you know, um, this girl had an abortion and she was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, 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 you don't, you don't understand. Like it was mine. Like I cheated on you. And so immediately her pity switched to get the fuck out of my house And oh, it was, dude, it was. That just I, complicates everything. <laughs> oh my God. And I'm not even, this is not even made up. I had to walk home in the rain because oh it was gosh. just like, it was, oh it gosh. was one of the worst days of my life by yeah. far. Yeah. And so I, I called my mom and told her the whole thing. And um, she, she, it was like, it was so early. She put it in my head that like she kind of thought it was like a trailer park trap situation like she was like are you how do you even know it was yours or whatever yeah and you know either and that just messed me up just with the seed of doubt but either way like i went through it as if it was mine like as far as the as far as my 
mindset and what I think about it and all that goes, it, yeah. it I, I did that. I was responsible. <clears throat> um, and how I handled it was I immediately went and tried to kill myself. Uh, oh, man. I, you know, that was when I relapsed. Um, I texted all my rehab friends. I was like, see y'all later. Like, this is it. And, um, luckily they found me and brought me back into treatment. Um, but even past that, it, it, for a while, I thought that I had this feeling that, um, God had given me a kid and I, this is what I did with it. So like, I'm cursed to never have kids again. Uh, I mean, just a lot of really it really messed me up. Um, yeah. Yeah, just, you know, I would, every time I would see a kid, it would just bring it back up, and I thought I was a murderer, and all yeah. that. Um, Did you have people telling you that, or is that just mindsets? No, from- it was what? all, it was from me. It was all, yeah. No, nobody ever, everyone responded with, like, I mean, you know, no, yeah. nobody, nobody made me feel bad about it, except... The girl's mom did call me uh, a few months after that, after I'd gotten sober again, and like let me have it. I remember that day, too. I was walking out of a movie, and I just get this call from a number I don't know, and this lady screamed and cried about ruining her daughter's life and for a long time. So Now, me and um, I've since like made, and I always wanted to... I never got a chance to, and and so much of my life back then was so muddied by drugs that like the timelines and the memories are so weird. Um, I've always wanted to go back and talk to her about it, like as an adult, because I mean, I was 18, I'm I'm 31 now. Um, But it's just at this point, it's like, I don't even think, but we've since like made amends with each other and we had a good, actually like pretty recently, actually, I um, got to talk to her online and. Um, we didn't talk about that, but we both got to basically be like, you know, we were both fucked up back then. It's, it's okay. So that was yeah. good, wow. but that's really good. Yeah. Healing, so, even though you weren't able to talk about the abortion, it's still somewhat healing, you know, to get that. Very, very. So that's kind of, that's kind of the story. And then I would say where that lands me on the whole pro-life pro-choice issue um so i had a uh sorry my ferret just fell off the window i i have a uh i had a friend about a year ago actually ask me um for like money to help him like he needed a mm-hmm. loan to help him do that with someone and i was like yeah i was like i know i just i can't man i was like i you know i pretty much Swore I did well. The thing, the things that changed in my life after that, a, I never had sex without a condom, ever. <laughs> so that I was literally, I was like, I there learned, I learned my lesson yes. on this. <laughs> well I done. It, well done. Yeah, I took it very <laughs> seriously. Um, and he, yeah, and so it, it, it was never again for me. It, it, it will, it has not been, and it would never again be an option. Um it's probably my biggest regret in my life um it, for a lot of reasons the the callousness of how i handled it um the it was pure selfishness it was just mm-hmm. like 
I don't want to have this kid that I don't want to be a part of. It's like, well, what about option C where I just was a part of this kid's life, even though there's the medical stuff too, but, but whatever, it's a bunch of what ifs, but, um, so yeah, I, I, I want nothing to do with it anymore. As far as pro-life, pro-choice, like, are there circumstances where it could be okay? Um, I don't know. I don't even know if I want to land somewhere on that. You know, it's like, yeah. I guess it, it it's so circumstantial, Yeah. you know, especially with if you, I, I don't know. And also I think what's changed, I was going to say, you know, if, if you have something where they're going to be severely, it's like severely handicapped or whatever, but then right. I've met people that have severely handicapped kids, Yeah. you know, and it's like, yeah. where do you draw I, the line? Right. And I don't think. Like, I can imagine what would happen if I'm like, hey, do you wish that kid would have been aborted? Like, I think they'd be punching me in the face, you know? Yeah. Um, The the rape question is an interesting one. I've also, it's, uh, there is no stickier issue, I think, than what we're talking about. So it's all, you know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's for each person to prayerfully consider. Um, yeah. I I guess I would say I don't think the government should tell people what to do one way or the other. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you're going to be pro-life, you damn well better be ready to adopt an orphan or take care of that kid that you want to save. I think you need to be anti-war and anti-death penalty if you're going to be pro-life. Yeah. You need to That's take fair. it all yeah. the way. Yeah. You know, um, I don't like that hypocrisy where it's like abortions are bad, but here, you know, go kill these Iraqis, uh, it's like you're yeah. really sending a mixed message there. So if you're going to be pro-life as a political stance, you better be all in. Like Shane Claiborne is one of my, he is a, he does that really well where he is pro-life to the core yeah. where he's, he's fighting for against the death penalty, you know? Yeah. So I guess that is where I would land on it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. I know this, it's not an easy topic. And like you say, it's, everything is so circumstantial. Um, that's kind of where I've landed on it myself, like, because um, I used to be staunchly pro-life in high school, but um, I'm not so much that way anymore, because like you say, there's just, there's so many circumstances where mm -hmm. things could have changed. But anyway, so I'm on the fence as far as a, as far as a political stance, uh, for sure. Yeah. So I have, I have one more question for you before I let you go. If you were to be, well, you kind of already said this because you had a friend already kind of asking you for money for abortion, but what would you say to a guy in your similar situation that is either just walked with a girlfriend through this or a wife or a partner or somebody who has been through it in the past and now is dealing with the grief? Ooh, so someone that's already gone through with it? Already gone through. Um, I would just really reinforce forgiveness and God's love and um, you know you can't change the past but you can change how you act now and yeah just the forgiveness aspect of it because I think the well I know the guilt and shame just ate me absolutely alive for yeah. years and years and years and and even even still a little bit I'm, I'm did you ever go through of, any counseling or um, therapy for that for that grief <sighs> uh at yeah i did um and it wasn't 
it's so it's it's so weird it's 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 so it's such a strange yeah not not specifically for that in a while um i i'm i'm you know i came to peace with it and through the counseling i did you know arrive at um at peace with it i guess um but it was it was tough at first it was it was it was almost like it, it was just something i had to work through i guess with god and um because I wasn't hearing what anybody was saying. It was like, because like I said, most people were really supportive, but it was like, no, like you don't get it. So, and, and that was, it. a lot of it was because of how young I was and just very unwilling to accept other people's help. So yeah, it was a tricky, tricky time, but I definitely try to help other people through it these days. One last question. What advice would you give to a couple considering um, going through with an, an abortion? Or would you would you give them advice? I would give, if they asked, um, I would probably encourage uh, adoption. Yeah. That's, and like I said, that's, you know, I'm sure there's a million, if there, there's a million other variables to that question. But if they asked me, sure, I would encourage adoption by way of telling them what I went through. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Those were my questions, Jed. I really appreciate you being willing to share and be open. And yeah. Thanks so, for having me. Thank you so much. Right. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey guys, it's Elizabeth. When the guys and I started talking through the process of sharing these ladies' stories, I knew I wanted a chance to share the final thoughts. But now it's time to release the episode and I'm just frozen, trying to get a handle on my emotions to put into words what I'm feeling. Feelings, emotions, versus words. The more I think about it, the more I really think that's ultimately the problem. Everything surrounding procreating is so steeped in emotion and feeling? From sex, being pregnant, birth, the number of children a family has, raising kids, infertility, adoption, and abortion. Everyone has an opinion. Every one of the things on the list above incites judgments, catfights, discussions, politics, emotions. I can't help but think of how black and white we try to make abortion. I wonder, is there any way we can consider that this is really a gray issue? As a high school student studying the medical procedure of abortion, I was very sure that this was a black and white issue. Now that I'm older, I've begun to see the other side, and I've slipped into the gray. I realize now that life is so much more complicated than I originally thought. As I listened to Liz and Melody, I think of two other friends of mine, Charity and Elizabeth. Charity is pregnant with her seventh baby. Yes, seventh. She shared her struggle with being pregnant on social media, how she's felt judgment, how she and her husband are struggling with it, and how they know they want this life to continue, but how they are not prepared for it. And my friend Elizabeth has shared on her blog and on a podcast about her struggle with miscarriage. She shared with me the judgments and criticisms that she's experienced while going through seven, yes, seven miscarriages. And here's the thing. 
all four women have heard the exact same criticism and judgments. Two for having abortions, one for carrying children to term, and one for trying again and again after yet another and another miscarriage. Something about that is just not right. Here's my suggestion. What if we all backed off? What if we acknowledged that all things baby cause incredible amounts of emotion in everyone, and we stopped being so militant and political and tried on our humanity instead? What if we all showed some grace towards fellow humans and stopped imposing our opinions on everyone around us? Do we have to all have the same opinions about abortion or how many kids per family is acceptable? I'm not saying we all have to agree. I'm saying we could all use a dose of reality that life is complicated, so let's build each other up rather than tearing each other down, no matter where we fall on the emotional or political spectrum. Thanks for sticking around with us through this difficult topic. Much love to you all. If you want to talk to me or any of the other Fadecasters about this, you can send us a note on Facebook or on Instagram at Fade to Gray Podcast. You can also email us at fadetograypodcast at gmail.com and find us on our website, fadetograypodcast.com. You can also join our Patreon family. That will help us keep this podcast going, and it'll give you a chance to join us as we discuss on Marco Polo. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.